Well, good morning, Real Life family. It is so good to see everybody online this morning. This is gonna be actually our last online only service. From here on out, we are gonna be online and in person. Starting next weekend, we're gonna be back in person at Daggy Hall on our normal service times, nine and 10.30. And then the following Thursday, the 25th, we're gonna be starting a new service out in Colfax on Thursday nights at 6.30 p.m. at uh, the Methodist Church in Colfax. So we're excited for the opportunities to uh, get back together and uh, have church soon. But for today, we are online, and I bet you're all wondering, what in the world am I doing all the way up here on this bridge in the middle of nowhere? Um, it is a pretty interesting site. It's beautiful out here, and I can't really tell you any more about it except that it's gonna tie in, and I hope it will help this lesson really stick and be memorable for you for weeks and maybe even years to come. And so uh, we're safe. This is an, a line that's been abandoned and no trains have been on here for a number of years. So the only risk we have here is me getting a little bit too mobile and maybe falling off. We're something like 150-ish feet up in the air with no guardrails. So uh, other than that, I'm gonna kind of hover close to the middle and we'll hang out. So we're gonna jump into the message this morning. As you know, we have been going through the book of Acts. And, and as we've been going through the book of Acts, we've been uh, studying and learning a lot recently about Paul and his missionary journeys. And last week, we studied Acts 21. And we talked about how rumors and false accusations were made against Paul and as he came back to Jerusalem. And there was this big mob and this riot that stirred up against him. And so if you missed that message last week, I would encourage you to jump online and get it. And this week, what's going on is, is there's these false accusations that have been made. The, the riot pulled uh, Paul from the temple and they drug him outside of the temple and they're literally like beating him to death. And if it wasn't for the help of a Roman commander like interceding to try and break up the mob to see what was going on, Paul surely would have died. And so the Roman commander and soldiers dragged Paul uh, up onto their shoulders and the whole mob was trying to just pick him to pieces and they pulled him back up onto the steps and they were fully intending to take him up to their barracks to interrogate him. But before they could go, Paul manages to get the attention of the commander and, and say that he needs to speak to him. And when Paul goes to speak to the commander, it catches the commander's attention because Paul is speaking in Greek. And so the commander recognized that Paul was Greek. And so what that did is it triggered something for him. It made him think, maybe this is a guy I know of this uh, sort of famous criminal that uh, the Jews have talked about. There was uh, a story about an Egyptian Jew who spoke Greek who led a rebellion of sorts and took some several thousand assassins out into the desert to rebel uh, against Rome and against some of their uh, fellow Jews. And, and because Paul seemed to be a, a significant man and he spoke Greek and because the whole city was out to get him, it made sense. The commander thought, maybe this is the guy. Maybe we've got our man, right? Maybe this is, this is a big coup to get this guy. But Paul breaks in and he starts explaining who he is, that he's not the guy that he thinks he is. Paul explains that he is from uh, an important city. He's from a city called Tarsus in Cilicia, which is a state, uh, a Roman state. And Tarsus was an important uh, uh, free city in Rome or in the Roman state. And so in the Roman uh, class system, knowing where someone was from helped tell you a lot about um, kind of their status, how important they were. Um, 
uh, whether or not you should listen to him or not, right? Like, and so because this was an important city, Paul seemed to be a very important man. There was a lot of people out to get him. He spoke Greek. It was enough to convince the commander that maybe he should let Paul speak. And so Paul pleads his case to address the crowd. And that's exactly what happened. And so Paul uh, begins to address the crowd and he, he motions for the crowd to be quiet. He, this is something he's familiar with. And he motions for the crowd to be quiet and, and the crowd quiets down. And it's like there's this, this uh, curiosity amongst the crowd to find out what is this guy going to say? What's he going to have to say for himself? Who is he really? What was really going on? Why does everybody hate him so much? What's going to come out of Paul's mouth? And that's what we're going to jump into this morning. We're going to dive into uh, Acts chapter 22 it, with uh, that spot where Paul starts to give his defense. So let's take a look at that. So this is how it goes in Acts 22, starting in verse 1. It says, Brothers and esteemed fathers, Paul said, listen to me as I offer my defense. And when they heard him speaking in their own language, the silence was even greater. You see, up to this point, Paul was speaking in Greek. But now, as he addressed the Jews, the, the Jews there, he does something really smart. He switches his language to their native language, Aramaic. Some translations say Hebrew, and he was speaking Aramaic. And so... What's going on here is a kind of a sly move by Paul because he had been accused by Jews that had come from Asia. And if you recall from our last several weeks as we've learned through the book and studied through the book of Acts, we've seen Paul traveling throughout Asia and Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. So where he was accused by Jews in places like Ephesus and Philippi um, and Lystra and Derbe and Iconium and Corinth, there was all these different places he went all of those Jews there spoke Greek, and they're called Hellenistic Jews. And some of those Jews traveled to Jerusalem for Pentecost, and so that's why they're there. And those were the Jews that accused him, and they spoke Greek. The Roman soldiers and commander and tribune spoke Greek. So here Paul is on the steps of the temple giving his defense, and he switches to the native tongue of the Jews from Jerusalem, and he speaks Aramaic. And so all of a sudden, his accusers can't understand him. The Roman soldiers, uh, the ones that have arrested him, can't understand him. But his fellow Jews all of a sudden can hear him. And they've got to be wondering, like, maybe we got this guy wrong. Maybe he isn't who we thought he was. Maybe he's a lot more like us, because it seems to appear to, to be that he's more like us. And we're about to find out that that's exactly what Paul was up to. He was trying to communicate to his fellow Jews that they indeed were a lot more like each other than maybe they knew. And so let's pick up the text again in verse 3. It goes like this. Then Paul said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, and I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under uh, Gamaliel. As his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs, I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. And I persecuted the followers of the way, hounding some to death, arresting both men and women and throwing them in prison. And the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify that this is so, because I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me to bring followers of the way from there to Jerusalem in chains to be punished. So some of you may or may not be aware of what Paul is up to here, but he's up to something amazing. He's up to something 
that he's so good at. Paul is building a bridge between his devout Jewish audience and himself. He's helping them understand that they probably have far more in common with him than they would have realized at first glance. And he, he wants them to understand that, yes, he's a Jew, right? He, he also wants to, them to understand that he's a, a Jew that came and studied under uh, uh, Gamaliel, the most famous rabbi of his time, that it was, it was no small thing for him to come and learn under that rabbi and teacher. And he's highlighting to the, to the Jews in the crowd how he is just like them. He was persecuting Christians, that he went to the high priest to get permission to go to Damascus and, and to go and round up more followers of the way, which is the early name for Christians. And so he's building bridges, connecting with his audience. And next, let's see what he has to say, picking it back up in verse 6. He says, as I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon, a very bright light from heaven suddenly shone down around me. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. And the voice replied, I'm Jesus, the Nazarene, the one you're persecuting. The people with me saw the light, but didn't understand the voice speaking to me. And I asked, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and go to Damascus, and there you will be told everything that you are to do. Well, I was blinded by the intense light, and I had to be led by the hand to Damascus by my companions. And a man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law, and well regarded by the Jews of Damascus. He came and stood beside me, and he said, Brother Saul, Regain your sight. And at that very moment, I could see him. And then he told me, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to, to know his will and see the righteous one and hear him speak. For uh, you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. And then he says, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. So here's Paul on the steps outside the temple, and, and he's no stranger to giving big speeches to big crowds. He's, he's used his skills and experience to, to rally this crowd quiet and to draw them in to his story and his testimony, and he's, he's building bridges with them, showing them how they're similar. He's speaking their own language. He's showing them how they have the same faith, how they have the same upbringing. The, they even grew to have the same righteous anger towards Christians that they believed were drawing people away from the one true God. And then he goes on to explain how something changed. Something changed when Jesus encountered him on the road to Damascus. He said that Jesus showed him the error of his ways and that and that Jesus pointed him to a man named Ananias, who coincidentally was also a, a devout Jew who was very well respected by his peers. And, and Ananias confirmed for him that he had indeed encountered Jesus and that Jesus had given him a new mission, and a new purpose to be God's witness everywhere to all people. Now, you got to see, you got to understand, like here he is, this whole crowd, they're hanging with him at this point. He's got them eating out of the palm of his hand, so to speak. They're still tuned in. They're still listening. But what Paul is about to say next, the things that he shares, the rest of his story that he shares, is about to turn this quiet, curious crowd back into an angry mob. So let's pick it back up in verse 17. It goes like this. After I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple 
and I fell into a trance. I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, hurry, leave Jerusalem, for the people here won't accept your testimony about me. But Lord, I argued, they certainly know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And I was in complete agreement when your witness Stephen was killed. I stood by and I kept the coats that they took off when they stoned him. But the Lord said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Well, the crowd had listened until Paul said that word. And then they all began to shout, away with such a fellow, he isn't fit to live. Now, you got to understand, up to this point, Paul had the crowd, right? He had built this bridge between him and them. He, he showed them how they were similar. He shared with them about his encounter with Jesus and how uh, Jesus showed him the error of his ways. And he, he, he even talked about how he put his faith and trust in Jesus. But he didn't stop there. And, and it makes no sense because right here at this point, Paul had them. He could have stopped the story right there. He could have stopped his testimony right there. And, and surely he could have won this crowd over. He could have had the devout Jews in the crowd chanting for his release arguing for his freedom from the Roman slaves. But you've got to understand something. For Paul, there was more going on that, than that. For Paul, he was more committed to the calling that God gave him than he was to gaining the acceptance of the crowd. He was more committed to following the, the calling that God gave him than he was gaining the acceptance of the crowd. It was more important for him to share with them what God had said to him, what God had done with them, the, the new people that God had directed him to, than it was to play it safe, than it was to um, try and win them over or protect himself. And so that's exactly what Paul did. He told this crowd full of devout Jews that, yes, they were the same. Yes, he was a Jew like them. And yes, he was trained up to obey the same laws that they were. And he studied under one of the most prestigious rabbis. And, and yes, at one time, he also thought the Christians were leading people away from the one true God. But that all changed when he encountered Jesus. He says that Jesus met him where he was at. And that Jesus showed him the error of his ways and he saved him. And that Jesus forgave his sins and redirected his life in a new direction with new purpose and new mission. And Jesus specifically pointed him to reach the Gentiles. You've got to understand, here's Paul, this dedicated, devout Jew, standing in front of his peers, hanging it all out there, risking everything to say that God has called me and directed me to be and go to the people that are not like us, to the people that for most of our lives we've assumed weren't to receive salvation. They weren't to receive God's spirit. They were different than us. They were pagans. They worshiped the wrong things. And God gave me the mission to go and share the gospel with them. Paul didn't get here on accident. There's a reason that he had the, the guts to stand on the steps of the temple in Jerusalem and look these thousands of Jews in the eyes and, and to say the things that he said because at this point, Paul's back in Jerusalem. You've got to understand, it's been 10 years. He's had 10 years of life experience, 10 years of, of walking out his calling, practicing his faith, growing up and maturing in his boldness and his confidence. And he had been 
gaining an experience and wisdom and really becoming an expert bridge builder between people and Jesus. Everywhere Paul traveled, we've been studying through Acts and we've been looking through the missionary journeys and we know as we've studied, everywhere Paul went, the first place he went was into the synagogue. He would go to his people first, to the Jews, and he would open up the scrolls and the text and he would begin to teach from the text and help them see how the text pointed to the Jesus he knew who was the Messiah, how Jesus had come to fulfill the prophecies and the scriptures that they knew. So he did like Jesus did with him. He, he met these people where they were at. He started with what they knew, the scriptures that they grew up studying and memorizing, and then he took them from there and helped bridge them to Jesus as the Messiah. And we know from our studies that he had varying degrees of success depending on where he went. Some places they were quick to kick him out and booted him out and, and didn't want him there. And, and sometimes he was stoned and sometimes he was jailed or imprisoned and sometimes he was you know, escorted out of town or had to hurry and, 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 you know, to save his own life. But other times, Paul was met with great success and, and throughout his ministry, he had the blessing and benefit of seeing thousands upon thousands of Jews put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And beyond the Jews, Paul developed this love and deep passion for the Gentiles, for people who were not Jewish, who were not like him. And, and he learned to become an expert bridge builder to the Gentiles. Everywhere he went, he would go to these Gentile countries and, and cities and he would go around and he would observe. He would listen to their speech. He would watch how they did commerce and how they did business. And he would look at their faith and their religious practices and the gods that they would worship. And he would learn how to engage them and meet them where they're at and use stories and analogies to, to meet them where they're at and then build bridges to help them come to know who Jesus was. In fact, one time Paul was in a city and he observed that they had gods for almost everything. There was, uh, there was gods for just about anything you could think of. And they even had a temple that was made to worship all these different gods, including uh, an unknown God. There was actually an anonymous God that they had uh, a way to worship in case they had missed a God or forgot one. And, and Paul wisely learned about that God and used that as an opportunity to build a bridge between these Gentiles and Jesus. And so he went to him and said, I see, I see you worship uh, even an unknown God. Like how wise you are that you would do that because I'm here to tell you, I know that God. What an exciting thing that I know the God that you've for so long called unknown. And he used that as an opportunity to preach the gospel and bridge them from where they were at to a God they didn't know to a God they could know. And he used his personal story and testimony to help tell that story. And so Paul built bridges between people and Jesus. He built bridges between Jews and Jesus. Paul built bridges between uh, Gentiles and Jesus. And he was awesome at it. And yes, there was challenges. And yes, there was difficulties. And it was dangerous at times. But, but listen, by far, by far the most difficult bridge building that Paul ever had to do was between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers to try and do the hard work of unifying the church. These two different groups, these vastly different people who had come to put their faith in the one true God to now meld them together to become unified. And, and it's, it's no surprise that that was difficult. 
The New Testament is full of it. All of the issues that are going on with Paul pertain to this challenge of blending these two groups together. In fact, all of archaeology supports this fact. All throughout Turkey, uh, there are uh, images of Jewish symbols carved in stone. There's, and same in Israel. All throughout Turkey and Israel, there's images of uh, Christian symbols and crosses carved in stone. But normally, whenever they're found from the same time period, the Christian stuff is always carved in over the top of the Jewish stuff. Or the Jewish stuff is uh, symbols and, and markings are uh, carved out or scraped out. There's only a couple of places in all of archaeology to date where they've found Jewish symbols and Christian symbols together on purpose in the same place, symbolizing that there was some harmony between them, that there was some unity between them. One of them is in Turkey and one of them is in Israel. And I've had the absolute blessing and, and fortune to be able to see both of these in person. You're going to see them on screen. And the one with the cross above the menorah is from Turkey. And the one with the menorah between the two crosses is from Israel. These ancient remnants are reminders of the immense difficulty that Paul faced in unifying the church, which is why it's no surprise that, that Paul wrote about the importance of unity in the church, right? And, and the way that he explained it is as important to us now as it was back then. It's as important a message today as it was the day that he wrote these words. I want to share them with you. They're from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, it goes like this. The human body has many parts, but many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews and uh, some are Gentiles. Some are slaves, some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that doesn't make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would it hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts. And God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would it be if it only had one part? Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts that we regard as less honorable are those that we clothe and with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. While the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts uh, that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. That's a pretty important line for us to remember. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you are a part of it. You see, like Paul, all of us have been given this two-part calling. And uh, both parts involve us learning to be expert bridge builders. First of all, God has given each of us a, a unique interest or calling, unique uh, people 
or a unique demographic or people that struggle with a certain thing or whatever. Like there are certain specific people or, or uh, things that people are going through that we feel called to, right? And so there's that part of our calling. And for us and those people, our mission is to help bridge them, build bridges between them and Jesus, right? Secondly, God has invited us to be a part of the big body, the church at large. And, and as believers, part of our calling is to build bridges amongst the body of Christ, to, to fight for unity, to look out for those in the body who are more vulnerable and, and require special care, to actually work towards harmony in the body of Christ, to, to really care for each member of the body, and to imagine that if one part of the body suffers, the whole, bar, the whole body suffers, right? And in the same way, if, if something in the body's working right and somebody is, is winning and super successful and things are going good for them or, or someone is new at it, like we celebrate, we're glad with it when glad things happen for others as well. Now here's the thing, in, in light of all that's going on in the news right now with racism being discussed on a, a local and a national level, the idea of building bridges in the body of Christ is probably more important than it has been in a long time. And, and it's, it's for sure a relevant and, and critical thing for us as Christians. And, and what we're being reminded of right now, not learning about for the first time, but what we're being reminded of, what's being brought back to the forefront again, is that there's people in our body who are suffering. There's people in our body who are uh, more vulnerable and at risk than others. And, and as Christians, our calling is to be on the lookout for people in the body who are struggling or are vulnerable or need special care. So the question is for us as a body is, are we willing to reach out? Are we willing to suffer and struggle? And what it, what's challenging is it's hard to empathize with someone you don't know and don't understand and you haven't felt what they've felt, right? And so it requires building a bridge and building relationship with them and getting to know them so that you can actually care. And on the heels of that caring and compassion, build a bridge that works towards unity in the body of Christ. And so the question is, are we willing to get out there and build those bridges? I grew up in North Idaho. Uh, it's no secret that Northern Panhandle and the Pacific Northwest especially is a very white area, right? Like I didn't pick where I grew up. That's just where I was uh, born and raised. And, and it was a very white area. I didn't grow up with a lot of people from any other race or any other country or even any other accents until I was much older. And yet I never thought of myself as a racist and, and, and never have thought of myself as a racist. And so I'll be the first one to admit when the topic of race would come up in the past and, and the topic of racism would come up in the past, um, I'll be the first one to say it's wrong and acknowledge that it's wrong and disagree with it. And, 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 and talk about how it doesn't make sense to me and I don't really understand it because it's just not the way I think or have ever thought or was raised to think. And then I sort of exempt myself from the rest of the conversation. I sort of give myself in the past, I've kind of given myself permission to bow out of it because I can look at it and say, yes, it's wrong, but I'm not that way and I'm not a part of the problem. And I've heard a lot of people and a lot of my friends have had a similar approach like, I totally think it's wrong and I don't agree with it, but I'm not that way and I'm not a part of the problem. So I, I sort of just, just remove myself from the conversation. And, 
the, the challenge with that is that the, the way that Paul talks about the body of Christ is that there's more to unity and love in the body of Christ than just not being a part of the problem. You see, Paul's in, imploring them then, and he's, he's imploring us now to, to do more than not just contribute to the problem. He's saying that when we commit to Christ, we're joining a family, and when someone in our family is suffering, we're all suffering. When someone in our family is struggling, we're all struggling. So the challenge for us is, how do we live this out in our community? How do we actually put it into practice? At a local level, in our local church, people would say, well, there's going to be people struggling in the body of Christ around the world all the time. Absolutely. And it feels overwhelming. And how can you do anything about it? God's put us in this place, in this season, for this piece of history, in this place, in this town. And so what do we do about it for us, Real Life Church Pullman? How do we engage people around us, build relationships with people, build uh, trust with people, ask their stories, learn to understand how they've suffered, how they've struggled, how they've felt vulnerable, how they've felt at risk, and what does it look like for us to offer them compassion and empathy and special care as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, the thing that does get me excited is I love our church. I love our congregation. We have such an awesome group of people that are so devoted to Jesus, and, and I feel like the, the vast majority of people that come to our church are sold out to actually living out their faith, and for us to be this kind of church that would walk this out. And so for that, I'm super grateful and super excited. I'm also really grateful that we get to live in a place where even though we're in a small rural area, we live in a, a place because of WSU and SEL and other industry in the area that we have a really diverse town, a really diverse church. We have 40-something nations represented at WSU, and so we have people from all different colors and backgrounds and countries and dialects and, and, um, and just everything at our church. And for that, I'm super grateful because it helps us have opportunities as a church to learn the stories of other people in the body of Christ. And with that diversity also comes a diversity of calling, a diversity of interest and passion. And so that's really neat too, because everybody in our church has kind of unique people that they feel called to, that they feel like God's uh, really uniquely gifted them to reach. And so before we finish up, this morning with communion, uh, we're gonna watch uh, a little video and you're gonna get a chance to see some of you. You guys haven't seen each other for a while, a lot of you. And so we're gonna finish up by sharing some of you, sharing with each other different people groups, different demographics that you feel uniquely called to reach with the love of God. So let's watch this and then we'll finish with communion. This time I feel really drawn to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with my grandchildren and my grand nieces and nephews. Hello, my name is Kermit Wigan, and uh, my passion uh, right now is to uh, uh, come alongside men uh, to help them, uh, each one of us, to uh, be in our Bibles, to work on our prayer life. Uh, uh, it kind of stemmed from working with marriage couples and uh, helping men to be not just accountable to their wives, but be accountable to God. My kids. And they don't really know it, but they help me be a better disciple myself. I am passionate about people experiencing a relationship with God through true, authentic relationships with one another. I want to share the gospel with people that feel hopeless and depressed. I feel called to serve the guys that I work with at the fire department. I feel called to share uh, the love of Christ with 
everyone, obviously, but um, I feel a particular burden on my heart for those that uh, haven't been blessed with quite as much in life, and so uh, that's just always been a call in my heart, and I feel uh, that I am particularly gifted at sharing with youth students, so that's why I became a youth pastor, um, and so I, I do my best to show them the love of Christ, um, and also do it in a fun way so that they don't just think uh, following Jesus is boring. Um, but yeah, that's that's who I feel most called to. I feel called to serve and love the youth in my community. I notice people who are in transition, who have lived in other places or other countries, or people who have experienced significant trauma in their lives, whether that's in the present or in the past. Uh, my colleagues at work. Hey, Pastor Thad. Maria de Jesus Dixon here. The sector of God's creation I feel compared to share the gospel with are those who had a rough start to life. Those who for the first 15 to 20 years of their life experienced abuse, neglect, or household dysfunction. Hello, this is Michael Kane. I am truly motivated to share my faith with people who are dealing with cancer. I've been dealing with cancer since 2002 and have seen the Lord move mightily in my life and in my health. And I feel compelled to share with people who are on the same journey, especially those who are struggling with their faith as they deal with their cancer bout and their circumstances.